Hey everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. I'm your host, Phil, and I am so excited to introduce to the podcast today, Rachel Haley. Rachel Haley now does consultation work uh, with Rachel Haley and Associates Consulting, focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the outdoor industry. So excited to be able to discuss more with her. And also, there is a connection. We both have a five-year-old daughter, and we were both featured in the 2020 Adventure Park Insider Guiding Lights Edition. So I'm excited to chat with her today. If there's ever a time for our industry to get bigger than it's ever been, Mm -hmm. isn't it surely now? Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's just mm-hmm. my thoughts. That- yeah, I mean, there's there's so much at stake now. You know, with we talk we talk about our youth coming up in this time, and you know, but for the adults too, it's like now more than ever in this format, in the virtual format. You know, even though we are in a really unique time where we can cause connections to happen, even in a virtual space, and and I feel like you know folks from the experiential education world are doing it really gracefully, you know? Um, that being said though, you know, for folks in their lives day to day during the pandemic, you know, facing the, where the country is right now, all of these things, what's needed really is that, that human interaction, you know, mm-hmm. that connection piece that, um, yeah, experiential education, 100%, I mean, provides that. So, you know, how can we take it to another level? You know, it's yeah. a hot question. Yeah, sure. absolutely. So uh, quick introduction to yourself, Rachel, if you want to introduce yourself to the audience and uh, who you are and what you do. Sure. Okay. So um, I'm Rachel Haley. Um, I am the founder and transformationalist at Rachel Haley and Associates Consulting. Um, I am specifically working with organizations to create diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, centered around the outdoor industry. So it's really working with orgs who are actively engaged at any level in um, outdoor recreation, outdoor education, and are looking to create um, actionable and tangible systems to move the needle forward. Um, We have a lot of conversations around this work right now, uh, both in our industry and in our country. And I feel like what's, what's needed more than ever now are systems people can rely on to really create it within their organization. So that's yeah. the work that I do. Before we get onto some of the questions I had previously, I had sent you, but I have a segment that uh, is hasn't really had many episodes come out, but it's bound to be a fan favorite. It's called uh, Mystery Questions. So how this is going to work <laughs> is uh, I have a number one through 10. Uh, I have 10 questions written down. And all I want you to do is pick a number one through 10, and we will both answer the question. And there is just a huge range. (laughs) Okay, this is going to be cool. I'm ready. Okay, so pick a number, one through ten. Number three, please. Okay. Door number three. Okay, this is is an interesting one. How would your parents or family describe what you do for a living? Oh, wow. Um, Okay, so my dad would definitely say that I'm... Um, getting into good trouble, you know, fighting the good fight. <laughs> yep. um, because so much of, of you know, um, diversity work and equity work is, is the same, uh, the same walk and same talk that my father was doing in the civil rights movement, you know. So um, for him, I think he would very proudly say that I'm kind of carrying that standard. My mom would say <laughs> that I'm 
being a bold leader in organizations and having a lot of fun in the process, which for her was always kind of top of the pile. And, you know, though people might not think that this work can be fun, it actually, you know, despite its risks and sometimes um, uncomfortable conversations, it can have a lot of meaning and a lot of depth, you know, and for me, that feels very fun in a lot of ways. I'm not entirely sure my parents know exactly what I do, but I think that they know I'm enjoying it. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. awesome to have parents that have supported me through that process of doing that work. And I think that they think I'm doing important work too. And it's, so I think that there's those, those balances. They're not sure on the specificity of what I'm doing, but they at least know that it seems makes, looks like I'm doing good work and I'm happy. So, all right. So, um, I think that, that nice, I think that nicely leads us to like, how did you end up finding the world of adventure and the outdoor industry? Like, does it come from your parents? Like, was there a connection there or not so much? Sort of. It's, it's sort of a a fun story actually. So I'm originally from Roxbury, Boston, which in the eighties was a very hard up community. You know, um, my brother and I, um, grew up city kid life, you know, for, for, a good portion of my life. And, you know, we knew how to read the um, MBTA maps, you know, the, the train state, the subway maps, we knew those up and down, but when it came to topographical ones, forget it. That just wasn't on our radar, you know? Um, so when my folks finally decided, you know, that they were going to make the jump to a really rural town called Middleborough, Massachusetts, um, shout out to my friends in the borough. It was a pretty big culture shock kind of for all of us, you know, mm-hmm. luckily though, my parents brought my brother and I both up with a strong cultural center, um, and narrative. We went to a, a private school, um, black, all black parochial school in Roxbury before we left there. So we had a really strong sense of, of, you know, what it was to grow up in the black community and, and culturally we felt very grounded. Um, so when we landed in Middleborough, it was like, you know, the one cow town, um, cranberry capital of the world is like really the claim to fame. That's where the ocean spray plant was. And my first exposure to the outdoors really was, you know, getting out of the car after we had moved all this stuff into the house. My brother and I got out of the car and I remember yelling something to my brother and saying, we're here or something like that. And it echoed forever, echoed forever. And I, that was a totally new experience for me. So fast forward a few years, you know, we wound up, um, I was really struggling, you know, in, in school and to be accepted by, by other kids. You know, I was one child of color in the entire school. When I hit high school, I was one of two. It felt very lonely for a long time. And sort of what helped to ease that pain for me was we end up, ended up going to a summer camp. Um, it was a YMCA camp called Camp Umicus, and they had a staff that finally, you know, there was some representation. Someone else looked like me. And as it turned out, it happened to be the staff member who was in charge of the ropes course on Thursdays. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, you know, that was sort of my first go around in the adventure world where I could totally be bold and courageous and, and confident without all the labels on me. You know, I could just be a girl in the woods with a helmet hanging out. You know, that's somewhat the power of summer camp, right? Like the reinvention of yourself sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, there, because I felt such a strong connection to that, that staff member, I also felt like, um, I could just sort of be me, you know, in a way that I didn't feel like I was able to at school, but what that really did for me was, you know, knowing that I could be that way at camp the following year at school, I just brought it on home with me. Mm. I said, okay, you know, here's who I am in the world. And, you know, it doesn't, doesn't really matter, you know, if I got long hair or full lips or whatever, I can be whoever I can be courageous. Yeah. So it really, it really, that first go around meant a lot. And it was quite some time before I was back in the outdoor world again, but um, I couldn't have asked for, you know, a more impactful entrance into it. 
You said that it was a big distance for you between you doing that as a kid and then you now <laughs> working in the what's what's some of the stuff that's happened in between? Yeah, so I've, I've, I equate myself to a cat. I've sort of had nine lives or probably many more. I was in the military for a while after I graduated high school. Um, I was a musician for um, classically trained musicians. So I did that um, in the military and kind of throughout my adulthood. And then after um, the military, I jumped to the culinary world. I was a chef for a very long time, for almost um, close to 12 years or so. And I loved that lifestyle. It was a blast. You know, um, there's lots of camaraderie in kitchens. There's, you know, you want to do a, a study or an analysis on teamwork, walk into any kitchen, you know, and talk to the folks behind the line because they really know, you know, how to build team instantly because you're with these, these folks 16 hours a day, 18 hours a day, and very rigorous, very hot conditions um, with lots of sharp things and hot things around. So, um, you know, team is really important there for sure. So I lived sort of the, the chef life for about 10 years or so, 10 or 12 years. Um, and I got to a point where I realized, you know, 90 hour work weeks and those long days, I was hardly ever outside. You know, I got to asking myself, you know, what season I was in based on the produce that came in the door. You know, yeah. I was like, oh, it's tomatoes. It must be summer. I don't know. There's no windows, you know. <laughs> Oh, beets, it must be fall, you know? So it was, um, I finally got to a point where as much as I loved that life, I said, okay, I got to make a jump. And I had picked up rock climbing with um, another buddy of mine in one of the kitchens as a way to kind of blow off steam, you know, on the weekends. Um, or I guess for us, it was Monday, Tuesday was the weekend. So we'd go out and I just, I loved who I was. I, I, I was reconnected to, you know, that girl at the summer camp immediately. I love just being in the wide open spaces, hearing the echoes, you know, and, and really feeling like, I was free, you know, no matter what else was going on in my life, I had that little slice of heaven where I was just free, fully present, you know, to my life and, and what was happening around me. So when it came time for my career shift, I said, okay, well, the outdoors really serves me in a lot of ways. And I want to share this with people. You know, I don't, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it's going to take, but I'm just going to go for it. And I found a, an instructor job at a, at a summer camp called Maplewood Enrichment Center in Easton, Massachusetts. And they're just the most wonderful, loving, kind people that, that really have the kids' backs, you know. So I was a facilitator for their low ropes and high ropes course for a while. Fell in love with it so much that I went to my boss that fall, they have um, like a year round program for enrichment. Um, and I went to my boss with like a 14 page proposal saying like, here's how I can really make this program fly. And I think we can do field trips for our school systems here. And, you know, whatever it is, just keep me on here, you know. And he was enrolled in the idea and wound up, I wound up running their their program for a few years, three or four years at Maplewood. And it was just magical. So, yeah, that was sort of the the return to yeah. uh, experiential learning. Yeah. I love that you also, you, you created your own pathway in it. Like you saw that you were energized and you wanted mm -hmm. to create like a path that would work. I relate, you know, with the program I used to work at, I decided I wanted formal training. I wanted to be sent to high five and get some training right. and then make mm -hmm. it a program bigger than just belaying because that was yeah. essentially what I was doing for a large portion of my time that's was it. just belay, belay, belay. And then another group comes and then a group sleeves. And I always thought like, it. there's gotta be more to mm -hmm. this because this is cool stuff but there has to be some more to it it has such a purpose that if there's not a if opportunity doesn't knock then i'm going to build the door that's just that's you know how how i kind of handle situations like that where you know 100 is possible 100 of the time you know i'm going to figure it out and you know as luck would have it lee and the staff at maplewood they were just so open you know to 
elevating the kids' lives that they were like, yeah, absolutely, you know, whatever it takes. So I did wind up getting some formal training with with Project Adventure, which was amazing and a whole other chapter in my life that was just so powerful. And then, you know, being at, at Zora Outdoors, the Zipline Canopy Tour Manager for five years, I mean, a totally different side of the game, right? But um, equally as impactful, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that your work at Zor was a great blend of almost those two parts. I think sometimes people listening to this might think Aero Adventure Park and Zip Tours, and then you've got facilitated right. programming, that those are somewhat separated. But, you know, we were fortunate as a training team to be able to come and spend some time with you. And the experience was facilitated in any way that we would facilitate our program. Just the mm-hmm. medium was slightly different. Instead of yep. going up and down and non-elements, we were going flying through the trees. But the right. <laughs> facilitation and the connection and the community that was created. The, I mentioned the word at the end there that like community that was created. And I was mm-hmm. listening to you describe each of your steps from summer camp, the military, the uh, working as in the kitchens. I wonder if like all of those have that have a big sense from an outside perspective of a sense of community. Summer camp is heavily community driven. How mm-hmm. much community has you, have you got in the military often referred to as a family? Right. I'm sure it's exactly similar in the, in the kitchens around like you are a community and a oh, huge absolutely. family and they support each other. Mm-hmm. How, how has that word community played out for you? Is, is, is that as big as I'm suggesting it might be? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think if I had to put like, if I had to put a word to my professional path thus far, it would be that it would be community and connection would be second. And, you know, even now in the work that I do with organizations around creating diversity, we're looking at, you know, as an organization, how are we, in what ways are we creating the community now? You know, how do we want to embrace folks as they're coming into our, our space? Right. And then also as an industry, we're saying, you know, as an outdoor community, what's the context we're creating for people as they're finally making the jump to to outdoor recreation? Because we're seeing it now, especially in the time of the pandemic, you know, more than ever. 2020 was really the year of of the great reveal in a way where, Mm -hmm. you know, it pulled back the curtain on systems that were working really well and those that were ripe for change. Right now, we're seeing an engagement increase for people um, new markets coming into outdoor rec, outdoor ed. And we're looking at, you know, the, the work that I do is really about looking at how are we creating the community to support new people coming in. You mentioned when you're at summer camp, you had someone that looked like you who was in that position and that allowed you to feel like it was accessible. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. And I, in fact, I know it's not the case for a lot of people in this yeah. field. Yeah. So what are you doing with organizations? What are some of the actionable steps that people could be taking? The first step in the game is wherever we are as an organization, right? We're always going to start there, right? Mm-hmm. The biggest step is to start, you know, to move from it's a nice idea or move from we're having lots of conversations about it to take action. So I would say, you know, the, the thing that I would want to leave people with really is, you know, engage with someone who can help develop a system for you that will work. The best work is full of innovation. It's not done in a vacuum. Uh, So being with others that are really passionate about the work and wanting to move it forward is really powerful and really powerful and impactful for people. Some of the tangible systems, you know, that, that I've been using most recently through Zoom mainly because, you know, that's kind of the world we're mm-hmm. in at the moment. Um, though I am engaging in some other um, in-person things on like a very limited basis and um, some rolling admission things as well with some of the colleges. But actionable systems really come down to 
what's the create the culture that we're creating. So much like a full value contract, I kind of call it a little, it's a little different. It's a learning culture with the consulting firm uh, is what we're calling it. And then really taking a hard look at, you know, what are the enablers in our organization, right? And how can we capitalize on those? And then what are the blockers, you know, and really take a look not only at our own beliefs about, you know, how we feel around diversity, equity, inclusion, but systematically within the organization, what's working, you know, and what can we add? What do you think like holds people back from taking that step from this is a great idea to taking the actionable step? Yeah, I think, well, much like in the, you know, in the challenge course world, there's always this moment of, you know, eek factor, you know, before you take the leap. And I think it's the same barrier that we all face as human beings. We're faced with the possibility of discomfort. We stop ourselves because to take a risk, you know, is to be uncomfortable. So I think that the number one barrier that I see around folks really engaging in this work is uh, a willingness to be uncomfortable, to really say, okay, no matter what it takes, this is something I'm committed to. You know, I'm, I'm committed to creating a more equitable outdoor, more accessible outdoors, a more, you know, whatever, pick your word, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm committed to creating something that is different than it has always been. And from me, it will take getting uncomfortable. You know, the first step there is saying, okay, this is where I'm going. Sort of the next blocker in that typically is, is, you know, buy-in, call it what you will, but so much of diversity work is cultural work, you know? So there gets to be some alignment between those at the sort of upper level, you know, leadership team all the way down through field staff organizationally so that there is some ownership with the folks really on the ground, you know, doing the work. And it does take that moment of realizing that discomfort is an acceptance of also that of extreme comfort, you know, like there was this awareness that I was fine and, and, and that I don't want that to change. And that mm-hmm. I can see that hesitancy from people that I don't want to experience change. Right. For me, I think that the, the, the driving force, and I wonder if this is similar for yourself also, is I have a five-year-old daughter. I know that we share that in common, mm-hmm. that I look at her and think, how, how do I educate her? How do I educate that next generation right. so that they, she's not, she doesn't have the blindness that maybe I have that I can accept that I have. The good news is that a lot of folks are having the same conversation mm. saying, oh my gosh, there's something I've been missing here, or there's something deeper. There's another level that I can engage, right? Mm. And if they're not saying it, someone in their circle is probably saying it to them or around them, right? So what's what's great about all of this is that the conversation is starting to show up in a way that I don't believe that it has before, you know, where, and there's a new willingness to, to go through the discomfort. I think people are sort of just like sick of it. They're like, okay, you know, it's time to get in here and do the work. And, you know, paired up with with professionals that are creating a space for the discomfort to to like hold space for that discomfort, I think is really powerful because there is a lot at stake, you know, and, and for me, it's really easy to true up to what kind of world am I creating for Aria, right? Mm -hmm. I always um, encourage, you know, folks that I'm working with to really get clear on what their vision is, you know, what it is they want to create within their organization and for their industry, but also down the road, you know, future what's happening for the future of our industry and for our planet and all of that. And why, like personally, why for them, you know, it might be their kids. It might be to, and, in, in, you know, increase their bottom line. It might be to find better candidates for their staff teams. You know, it can look a lot of ways, but to know where they want to go and why first, I think, you know, kind of gets us all over that hump of, Oh boy, I'm going to have to put in the work here.
I'm unsure if you're aware of Nikki Hall, but I was actually having a conversation with her. I do some uh, um, uh, professional coaching with her. And I was saying, oh, I'm going to be interviewing Rachel on Friday because she was asking what I was doing. And she she was aware of you and she was like, oh, can I ask a question? So I have a question from Nikki. I actually have two, but we'll see how we're doing for time. But So the first question is, there has been an increased interest in Black Lives Matter, particularly since the murder of George Floyd. This has sparked the proliferation of discussion groups among white audiences who are reading black authors and topics focused on issues of racial injustice and inequality. How do you feel about these groups? Do, you, do they feel authentic? Are they helpful or not? So this is a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> respond to in, in many ways. But I'm, you know, I am someone that believes in speaking your truth um, and laying it down. So yeah. for me, you know, groups like this, they don't necessarily feel inauthentic to me at all. I am grateful for because look, I have a mixed race daughter. So I'm always coming at this through the lens of not just what is my experience as a black woman in America, but what is her experience. And then those of my peers and my friends and people I've served with in the military, people I've played with on challenge courses. I'm always looking at this from like, it's, it is about me and it's not about me at all, you know? Um, so I, I feel like, you know, anyone that is audacious enough to be doing the work, you know, whatever that looks like, whether it's a discussion group or it's a, you know, one and a half hour webinar or something that other folks might consider a box checking solution or a full on, you know, six month coaching engagement with a DEI coach, you know, then great at every level. Great. My biggest thing with any of with any of this is so what now what? You know, we are where we are. You had your meetings, you've had your group, you've had your discussions. Now take action. So what's next? Yeah, I think the checking of the box is only a checking of the box if there's no other things, right? You actually Absolutely. have to have some actual action beyond the just the discussions and the education and the learning, which is great. Right, uh right. Another question. So this is the last question from Nikki. Uh, for, for more black and brown participants to engage in outdoor recreation and learning, what messages need to be sent from organizations? And I'm going to add such as high five to encourage their interest, trust and feelings of safety. Yeah. So this is sort of a, a two part thing for me, because as much as I believe organizations need to send a message, and I'll get into that in a moment, um, I'll just go out on a limb here and say, look, black and brown communities get to do our own work too. In that, you know, as a kid, I had a pretty strong limiting belief that black people don't do that, you know, meaning they don't play outside, they don't get, they don't swim, all of these limitations, all these things, right? And I think had I not just decided to say, well, I'm going to do it anyway, you know, I wouldn't have had such a rich experience on this planet, you know, and continue to be with people in a way that is really, um, that I'm just so grateful for. I've met so many amazing people in this industry, you know, so I'm challenging the call to action here is really, I'm challenging folks to look at their own limiting beliefs and, and then decide what's possible for them based on what they want, not what they think they can have or what they can do, right? Um, the other side of it, though, on the flip side, as far as what organizations can do to send the message, you know, I'll bring it home here with just a representation, representation, representation. You know, you want to be looking at your um, applicant pool. You want to be looking at the language you're using in your um, job descriptions and, um, you know, having it be in a way that people get that, okay, great. They can apply for the jobs. They can be a part of the team so that that way you're causing more folks that look like them to show up and have an experience of acceptance, love, trust, all of those things. Trying to say, like, just trust me. Is it good enough, right? 
It doesn't really, like, I, mean, even, I promise even, we're safe. I promise. <laughs> you know? Right, right. It, even I mean, even on the on the course, it's yeah. like that. You know, if you as a facilitator were standing there like, trust me, trust me, that's different than they're seeing it trust all around them. We create it when we set out our gear for them. You know, it's in excellence so that they get, okay. I can trust this gear. We get it when we're, you know, making sure the corridor is clear on the zip course. Everything is in excellence so that we're creating trust. It's the same thing with the staff that we bring on. You know, if we have really talented folks that also, you know, show up looking like the participants we want to see, right? And I'm not just talking about black and brown communities. That sets the context of, okay, you're welcome here. I think that that is an, it's an interesting mindset as well around the industry at large. Like how do we, how are we truly representing our industry to demonstrate trust, safety, excellence, acceptance, all of those things in the work that we do. It's, I've often found as well, because of the industry having a lot of turnover of staff as well, mm-hmm. doesn't often mm-hmm. allow you to be able to get to a point of, this is the mindset we want to have across the board because new energy is coming in and, and the excuse would be, oh, I just need to take, teach them the basics. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Like, I think that you, as you're starting this, there, there's got to be a lot of positivity in your mindset about the future to a degree to want to do it, right? Like, yeah. yes, yeah. You're, there's, there's, you're still fighting the fight that your dad was fighting, and, you know, <laughs> like that could that you, and you think about it, you could get depressed, but what... What's positive? What do you see? That, how do you see the future of the industry, especially when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion? Man, and and this goes back to sort of my why behind all of this. You know, I'm always telling organizations, "Oh, find your why." You know, this is mine. So, for me, you know, what I see as possible for for our industry is one that finally, and I think this resonates a lot with experiential educators. We're teaching people to grow down, right? To be kids again, to play again, <laughs> and and for that to be a possibility for you know, people of regardless of circumstance, age, you know, race or sexual orientation, any of socioeconomic status, if we can take all of those things, right, and have them not matter anymore, and people are just free, you know, to be outside, to play, to connect with themselves and with nature and with others, then, you know, ultimately, it's a pretty amazing world. You know, people are in a much happier place when they're outside and they're just being playful and joyful. So, you know, that's what I'm about creating. And, you know, I get that it's sometimes one little step at a time and one little bump at a time and one article at a time and all of that, you know, but um, for me, that's the brighter future that I'm always like, okay, maybe not in my lifetime, maybe not tomorrow, but that's where we're going. You know, I know it. Oh, and I also I forgot to mention this uh, connection that y- you and I have is we were both featured in Adventure Park Insider as guiding yeah, light. So that's yes. nice that uh, <laughs> a nice little accolade for the for the two of us in that regard. But I but I feel that of when I was reading that and and reading the articles and when I was told I someone nominated, I was like, ah, oh, what's exciting for me? And I wonder if you've experienced this when you've gone to ACCT conference. There's uh, there's a I wouldn't say young and like we're in our thirties, right? So it's like young in terms of there's a new generation of energized professionals in the field who want to make a yes. difference. Yes. And I've started seeing that in all these places, you yourself, um, I'd like to think I'm trying to do that too, but then, and other people in other orgs that I'm seeing that all in the yeah. same, like in the mid thirties range, or <laughs> like I I'm excited for the future of the field beyond all capacities. I think that we are so vital. The work that we do is so vital and we all experience it because we've had the emotional connection to the work that we do. And that's the reason Mm -hmm. we're doing it in the first place that we all say it's the best thing in the world, but now is the time to spread that message to a broader 
range of people beyond the bubble that you experience sometimes in the communities that we're in. So I'm excited about that. So I Absolutely. thank you from the behalf of, of this stuff that you, you're a guide and light and, and you're helping the industry. So thank you Same for that. Thank you, Phil. Yeah, yeah, thank you. This has been such a treat and, and a pleasure. You know, I'm just, I'm so glad that there are so many folks out here doing the work and, um, you know, we're on our way. Uh, just a, just a, put a, like a, a pin on the the mindset because there's a lot of people who might be listening to this who are and in fact i know there are a lot of emerging professionals a lot of students that listen to this and mm-hmm. i've done my due diligence of spreading the word that this podcast exists to students so for yourself and and thinking of the access and also the diversity of this industry what's your advice to any emerging professionals wow um yeah answer all the world deals mm-hmm. essentially yeah, I know. Okay, check them off the list one at a time. Let's make a list. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, the number the number one thing I would say to any emerging um professional in any industry, first of all, is is, you know, trust yourself. You know, you are the one. Like if you're if if we're gonna affect change, you gotta hold yourself like you are the leader, because you are, mm. you know. Um, the, on the flip side though, like not knowing the the industry existed, I mean, that was totally me. Um, and I would just say, you know, um, with all of this, I guess with everything, the more we play and the more we explore, um, and the more folks we know, the better off we are. So make, make tons of connections, um, and just play your heart out, whatever it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, are you, are you aware of, are you on clubhouse? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'll, I'll follow you on clubhouse <laughs> because, uh, because I, as you start to talk about the sense of community and the networking and the growing, Mm. I've been on there for a couple of weeks and I can I can admit I've become a little bit of a convert to the idea because yeah. I've been in a lot of rooms where it's been really great conversation with people I've never met doing similar work that we do. Absolutely. And that's what I what I'm excited about is you know, I've been in this bubble of people that I I'm aware of and the AE crowd and mm-hmm. um there are so many people outside of that world that are doing experiential ed, adventure ed, yeah, all of this work um, that have so much. They have the same books on the bookshelves kind of stuff. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah. it's so exciting to connect. Exciting so. times. So anyone sure. listening yeah. to this, I recommend it. it hopefully it's still around. It's. Yeah. <laughs> I'm <laughs> it assuming it probably will be. When I jumped on. Uh, any last thoughts, uh, any comments you want to make before we say goodbye? No, I'm just, I'm so grateful to have been on, Phil. Thank you so yeah. much. And high five, love you to the moon. And, um, you know, let's just keep marching on. Yeah, awesome. Like I say, thanks again. Uh, and how can people find you? That's a great uh, segue. How do people find you if they so, want? So, yeah, um, the website is rhealyconsulting.com. And you can find me on all the, the usual places, LinkedIn and all that good stuff as well. Awesome. And I will throw all of that in the description so people can check out Rachel. And I massively encourage you to do so. Um, As I said, a guiding light in our industry at the moment. So thank you, Rachel. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast. Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for getting us a the guy. <laughs>
Uh, continue to share the podcast with any educators that you think would find this beneficial, as well as letting me know what information you'd like me to share about and who potentially you'd like me to interview at podcast at H-I-G-H, the number five, adventure.org. Thank you so much. Stay safe and stay connected.